0: Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
1: What would happen if one Sunday, while singing the doxology, the ceiling broke, just broke open, and smoke and incense filled this sanctuary. Flying creatures whirled around our heads, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And a royal purple robe filled this pulpit, and we caught a glimpse of a throne. And a voice boomed, who will take my message to the people? We would be on our knees immediately, praying. If we came to worship truly expecting to encounter God, everything would be different. I remember my first visit to an Episcopal worship service. My Baptist friends and I pulled up, got out of the car, still blabbering, joking, hee-hawing. We opened the door to the sanctuary and were smacked in the ears by the silence. You could feel the silence and people were kneeling at their pews, Praying, And I remember thinking, man, they take this worship thing seriously. I also remember feeling a sense of awe and wonder. Like at any minute, the ceiling could break open and fill the church with smoke and incense. God would enter and speak. I wish I'd had that kind of faith. We expect God might break into our sanctuary this morning. Things would be different. In her books, Teaching a Stone to Talk and Holy the Firm, Annie Dillard writes this about worship. Week after week, we witness the same miracle that God is so mighty, he can stifle his own laughter. Laughter. Week after week, we witness the same miracle. That God, for reasons unfathomable, refrains from blowing our dancing bear act to smithereens. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? Churches are children playing on the floor ...with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense... Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. She says, I often think of the set pieces of liturgy, of worship, as certain words that people have successfully addressed to God without getting killed. If we truly expected God to show up to worship, would it be different? 18th century Hasidic mystic Jews had this same sense of awe and reverence. Now, one of the Hasidic priests who slaughtered sacrifices, whose work required him to invoke the presence of the Lord, while he prayed, he slaughtered the animal sacrifice. That morning, he would give a tearful farewell to his wife and his children... Before he set out to the slaughterhouse, he felt that every morning he would never see them ever again. For every day, as he stood there with his knife in his hands, in the words of his prayer, the words of prayer, he says, carried him into danger. After he called on God in prayer, he might notice And God might destroy him before he could utter the rest, which is, have mercy. Another Hasidic rabbi refused to promise a visit with his friend the next day. He said, how can you ask me to make such a promise? This evening I must pray and recite, hear, O Israel. When I say these words, my soul goes out to the utmost rim of life. Perhaps I will not die this time either. But how can I now promise to do something at a time after the prayer? What if we had that kind of faith? That kind of sense of awe and wonder and reverence? about God, how this worship service comes closer to that than any I've ever been in. But oftentimes we take our worship carelessly. Wouldn't we actually study our Sunday school lesson? Wouldn't we think twice about being stingy with our resources? Wouldn't we give our undivided attention to worship? Maybe our words would be fewer, more measured. Maybe scripture reading would carry more weight. We would sing with more sincerity. What if we had that kind of faith? We took seriously the power we so blithely invoke. Would our worship look more like Isaiah's? Was Isaiah expecting that sort of encounter with God? He was at church, his temple, as he so often was, I'm sure. Probably didn't expect that to happen. But we don't know. We don't know a lot because the whole thing is kind of wrapped in a mystery. Just listen to the words. We know that any attempt at putting God into words ultimately fails. Words always fail in the face of mystery and awe. But notice the best words sung to describe God by the ones who know God best. And when they sing, they make the mystery thicker still. Hear these words. Holy and glory. Holy and glory. Those are the words that describe God. God is odd. Other. Beyond our comprehension. The best words make the mystery more a mystery. The heavenly choir is singing, beginning in holiness and ends in glory, from otherness to otherness. These are the best words, and all they can do is remind us that God is awesome, totally awesome. So we don't know a lot about God, but we know what happens when we find ourselves in the presence of Holy God. Do you see Isaiah? When he recognizes God, Isaiah instantly recognizes his own unworthiness. He says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've told lies. And I live among a people that tells lies if God showed up we would be instantly reminded of our shameful condition but notice this when he says that woe is me notice no one denies his condition no one says hey Isaiah don't be so harsh about yourself and about those people No one says, You're really a good guy. Don't say those things. No, because heaven knows he's a sinner, and we are. On top of that, the remedy for his condition is dangerous, extremely painful. The seraphim don't come and give him a cozy embrace, a soft touch. There's no sweet prayer. Nothing like that will do for the distance, the disparity between us and God. Apparently, the distance is so painful that it requires a painful cure. Live coals, hot coals, and tongs, and nails, and a cross. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, God's presence is a source of deep jeopardy. Tom Long was guest preacher at a church. The pastor was his friend. He was visiting with his friend. He says, after our visit, the friend wanted to show me his church building. You know, how ministers want to show off the church plant He said, we took a tour of the building, and we saw the beautiful sanctuary. We saw the color-coordinated Sunday school rooms, the magnificent fellowship hall, and then for the coup de grace, he said, we went out to the front yard of the church to look at the whole facility at once. He says, it was a magnificent building, a Gothic sanctuary with a tall spire, He said, my eyes followed the spire all the way to the top, but it was a bit puzzling to me to see what I saw. There were pieces of plywood around the top of the spire where it looked like there should be some stained glass. He said, I didn't think vandals could throw rocks that high, but I asked my friend, what happened? He said, oh, the people in town asked us to do that. They did? They did. Why? He said, yeah, we used to have a stained glass window up there of the eye of God. You know, like a, the eye on the back of a dollar bill. He said it illuminated at night, and you could see it from all areas of town. the Shopping mall, the high school. People asked us, though, to cover it up if we wouldn't mind. Cover it up. It's not that they didn't believe in God, he said. They just didn't want God looking at them all the time. They wanted God on their own terms. Predictable, safe, sleeping God that wakes for an hour once a week for worship. The eye of God, the symbol of God that never sleeps nor slumbers the invisible power that could break through at any moment. An awesome awareness of God evoking our undoing. What if we entered worship with that kind of reverence and expectation, that sense of awe and wonder, the belief that God could break through at any moment, any time, any place, in any way. But even then... If we could experience that, does it guarantee that God will show up the same way God showed up for Isaiah? What if God never breaks through our ceiling? What if the seraphim never fly around singing and bringing hot coals for us? What if we never catch a glimpse of God on a throne or hear God's voice thunder from the heavens? Does that mean that we don't have the right belief, the right faith, or enough? But maybe you do. Maybe you do have that kind of faith. Maybe you have encountered God. Maybe it wasn't on the scale of Isaiah's experience. Maybe it wasn't in a sanctuary, but it was just as awesome. You see, the point is not that we have to have Isaiah's experience. In a temple. Or that our only experience of God is in worship. But according to Isaiah, God is all around all the time. We just forget to pay attention. Do you hear him? Listen, heaven and earth are full of God's glory. Heaven and earth are full of God's glory. We don't see the stars the way we used to. Back in Palestine, it was dark. The skies at night, you could see with such clarity. You could see the heavens on those desert nights. Star-filled beauty in the skies. Isaiah saw all of that and more. Heaven and earth are full of God's glory. He walked the Jordan River. He saw the flowers on the hills near Jerusalem. The beauty of the mountains popping up around the city. Heaven and earth are full of God's glory. There in that moment in the temple, he had an experience of God's awesomeness. But he knew it also from the fullness of God's awesomeness awesomeness in the world he knew it immediately God you are so good compared to me I am no good compared to you and the seraphim flew down took a tong, picked up a hot coal from the altar, flew over touched his lips, heard a voice say your guilt is removed, your sin is forgiven and now the voice of God. Whom will I send? Who will take my message to the people? Isaiah, having experienced the holiness of God, having experienced the forgiveness of God, then raises his hand and says, Here am I, Lord. Send me. How's that hymn go? Here am I, Lord. It is I, Lord. Do I hear you calling through the night? Having experienced God's awesomeness and God's forgiveness, Isaiah raises his hand, here am I, use me. Each of us experiences God in a different way. Isaiah experienced it in a temple. Peter experienced it on a lake. He was out fishing, wasn't catching anything. Jesus says, try the other side cast the nets, pulled in a haul of fish. Peter noticed, staring in the face of God. This is a miracle. Jesus says, as if touching him on the lips, no longer will you catch fish, I'm going to send you to catch people. Holiness was different for the woman at the Well, Not on a lake, not in a temple. For her, it was out drawing water. Jesus encountered her, spoke to her, said to her, you've had seven husbands. She thought, how does this man know about me? She fell to her knees, worshipped, went and told the people of her town, I've met someone unlike anyone I've ever met. All these experienced the holiness of God in different ways. For St. Francis of Assisi, he was riding on his horse one day, reached down to touch a man with leprosy, going to pull him up, saw the face of Jesus in that man, changed his life. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, was riding in a carriage from his home to the cathedral, in the countryside of England. He arrived at the cathedral, he believed, and that was it. As simple as that. He believed. No seraphim, no royal robe, no vision, just a drive through the countryside. Changed his life. Martin Luther was upstairs in a room reading the Bible, reading Romans chapter 3, the verses about the grace of God. You know how it changed his life and what he did. For my mom, about 18 years ago, holding her newborn, first grandchild, baby. She looked at me and she said, the face of God. Holiness, each person experiences differently. How's it been for you? Where have you experienced the holiness, the awesomeness of God? Now hear this. God says to you today, your guilt is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. And having experienced the forgiveness of God and the holiness of God, you now hear these words, whom will I sin? And you, having experienced the holiness of God, you, having experienced the awesomeness of God, find your hand raised. Send me. Here am I, Lord. My life is yours. Send me. Amen. Pray with me, please. God, some of us prayed that. Some of us a bit hesitant. We prayed that. We want you to use us. It terrifies us how you might. God, for those who accept your call, make it clear. And give them what they need to accomplish their task. In Christ we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning into They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Baltimore Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.